everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One on One, Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to a new series on Matan's one-on-one podcast. Starting from Parshat Shmot, we'll be putting out a weekly 30-minute episode on the parasha. Uh, each episode has a twist. Uh, each one aims to highlight a figure, ancient, pre-modern, contemporary, who shares an idea on the parsha. Each week, I'll be sitting down with a guest for a short conversation about an idea they are passionate about. To speak about Parashat Bo, I'm honored to be sitting with Rabbanit Rachel Sprecher Frankel, who is the director of Matan's Hilchata program. It's a pleasure Shalom. To be here. Hi, it's my pleasure. So let's hear what uh, what we have to say this week about Parshat Bo. Okay, so uh, here we are in Parshat Bo, where we were intended to start, uh, at least according to Rashi, the first Rashi in the Torah, and uh, the Medrash that uh, is based on. We were supposed to start this week with the Chodesh Azalechem, uh, the first proper mitzvah. We do have some mitzvot in, uh, in Sefer Bereshit, but they're kind of personal family minhagim uh, or things that are intended for the whole universe. But a proper mitzvah that's given to Bnei Israel, this is the first. Um, it's the beginning of our Jewish calendar. Mm-hmm. To establish the beginning of each month as Rosh Chodesh. And starting with Nisan as the, yeah, as the, the head of the, of the Torah. Right. And, and then you ask, so what were we doing like for, for all these parashot throughout Bereshit, the beginning of Shemot? To me, it echoes a bit the the um, one of the polemics with the Christian world, the the question of you know Christians sanctify the, these books, but um, found that we're exempt from the mitzvot uh, somehow. So it, it's interesting because we keep on saying yes, our way is or or a Jewish way is the the Torah. Is interested in one's heart, in what's in what goes on in your world of values and world of thought and mechshava, um, etc. Uh, but the way to your heart is through practical mitzvot. You you do, and then you become. And the time we spend throughout Sefer Bereshit somehow also tells another story. It says sometimes we directly approach the world of values. We speak about family values. We speak about history. We speak about how it all began. And from there, we get to the commitment to mitzvot. And then from the mitzvot, we get back to the heart. So it's like a circular motion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like we say, Rahman Ali Babai, HaKadosh Baruch wants the heart. But he doesn't only want the heart. The heart. It's like it's like um, a motion from from the the practical world of mitzvot to the heart, from the heart to the practical world of mitzvot. So there's like the, uh, a dialogue uh, going on here. Right. That's a really beautiful idea. You're saying we should move away from the dichotomy of you know the Christian world focuses on actions and beliefs, and the Jews focus on behavior. And you're saying just the structure of the way the Torah is written is reflects that it is much more nuanced than that. Meaning, of course, we have our mitzvot and our obligations, but it's encased in a world of values, it's encased in a world of family. I always, always go back to, in my heart, in my soul, in my teaching, Rabbi Sachs' introduction to the book of Sefer Bereshit, where he speaks about the fact that the first spiritual blueprint of our life is with our family. We meet God at a later age in our life, but all the basis of a foundation of our life is through our family, and that is simply why the Torah has to start with family. But you're saying that it's this beautiful, it's a... It's a circle that feeds itself. It's the obligations, it's the values, and it's something that they all they all um, make each part richer. Definitely, and 
the first Rashi on the Torah, that very famous uh, question of why tell us all this whole story? Um, we're actually here for a book of law. Let, let's get practical. Let's get down to Tachlis uh, Mitzvot. Reflects this notion. He, he takes the answer to a different direction. But here we are finally at the, at the place he was pointing us to. And, and we look at the Psukim, uh, chapter 12, tra- chapter 13 of, um, of, Tzavr Shemot Parshat Bo. And something very interesting is going on because, you know, once we get the first mitzvah, they come in bunches. You, you get a whole series of mitzvot. And the situation is one where, um, we're just before Yetziat Mitzrayim. We're just before um, the last uh, plague of uh, of Makat uh, Bechorot, and and we're we're getting the instructions. So uh, these tzukim are all about. Uh, we start out with a Chodesh Azelachem. You're gonna get uh, your your head of the year in, in Nisan. And, and then we're, we're told all about what's going to happen. There's going to be, there's going to be Makat Bechorot and, and, um, uh, Hashem says it's going to go from home to home and, uh, and see, um, you know, differentiate between the houses of Israel and the Egyptians. And then while this is, you know, it, nothing has happened yet. We're just getting the instructions. And there's a lot of talk about the redemption that is going to happen from Mitzrayim. And while these instructions go on uh, throughout these chapters, uh, 12 and, uh, and 13, it seems like from the very beginning, the Torah is much more busy with how this story is going to be told once it's done than actually being there. You know, it's like sometimes we tease our teenagers that uh, before they're at a situation, they're already taking pictures and posting it online. And we say, oh, no, just, you know, why don't you experience Experience it? Experience it. (laughs) And here it it seems like the Torah is doing exactly that. It's it's saying okay, so this is what's going to happen, etc. And while it's going to is saying that, it says, and you're going to be telling this story, and you're going to be having this holiday called uh, Pesach, and in this Pesach you're going to tell this story, and you're going to remember this, and um, when your um, when your children will ask you what went on, you're going to be answering like this and like that, and and it goes on and on and on with a whole bunch of. Uh, New mitzvot that come up one after the other, and and with this almost obsession with how this story is going to be told, okay, before it's even experienced. It's a great parallel to the world of right social media. I have to make sure that it looks good before I actually enjoy it or or experience it. And I think that you're pointing to this idea that the, I mean the the consciousness of the exodus is in many ways much more powerful than the actual moment itself meaning the 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 mark it leaves on the torah is being a model for human dignity and being a model for kindness that the that the the exodus is something that is so strongly part of our our biblical and ultimately jewish consciousness that you're saying the Torah itself shows that it's self-aware in that moment. Like, I'm so self-aware right now how it's going to sound, how it's going to look, that there's this two-prakim break, almost, from the actual events of the story. And then it skips, and it skips part of the story, by the way, and it jumps into another part. Uh-huh. I absolutely agree. It's, um, it's like saying th- there's this major, major historical event. There's going to be the Exodus. 
But more than the Exodus shaped the, the face of Am Yisrael and uh, Torah and etc., the memory of the Exodus shaped Am Yisrael. And, and that is, you know, it screams out from these psukim because it's all over here. Um, it, it's really, once you read it in these eyes, you, you, you see how, how uh, you know, it's, all, it's blunt. And, and then you go into the, the actual new mitzvot that come up here. And there's a whole series of mitzvot that come up immediately, uh, starting with everything that has to do with, with Yetziat Mitzrayim, uh, with uh, Pesach, with telling the story of Yetziat Mitzrayim, etc., uh, etc. Et and, and, and a bunch of other ones, like uh, Pidyon Ben, like, like Tefillin. And you start, first of all, experiencing these few mitzvot, and then you get connected to this whole Series actually, um, I think may, maybe over 36 places where mitzvot that are instructed by the Torah are said to be Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim. And it's part of a vast system of mitzvot Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim. And when you start analyzing this system, you, you see it's, it's, you know, some are very simple, you know, uh, so we're gonna sit down on Pesach, we'll tell the story, we'll remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim, we'll remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim every day, eventually we'll remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim every night, um, and, and things, you know, the, the whole system of holidays that, uh, Sukkot, and, okay, fine. And then we, we go on to Shabbat. And I remember as a child, I always, in, like in Kiddush, I always understood why Shabbat is Zechel Maseh Bereshit. It has to do with creation. But why is it Zechel Yitzhak Mitzrayim? And, and, and it took, you know, another step to say, oh, the social aspects of Shabbat, the fact there's the, this concept of rest, this, the fact that you can control time and what, and what you do with time. And, the, you know, this, that, that was less intuitive to me. But it's something we grow up with from the very beginning. And, and here, right in our, our psukim, there is tefillin. What does tefillin have to do with, uh, with Yetziat Mitzrayim? So, so you say, on the one hand, within the tefillin themselves, we, we have, it's like a, it's like a loop because they, they include these psukim. Yeah, they're inside. They're inside. And this concept of, uh, like with the strong arm that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And then it goes, you know, it becomes greater and greater. And, and you find mitzvot that sometimes very hard to explain why it's Zecher Litzat Mitzrayim. Uh, you're not allowed to cheat on your, on your scales. Zecher uh, Litzat Mitzrayim. What does that have to do? Eventually, when you analyze it, I think there are, um, and, and I get a, uh, I'm back to the circular motion. You can't see it on a podcast, but, uh, like, like, a, right, with hands. like a good Jew, I'm speaking with my hands. Um, on the, there, And on the first hand, there is uh, this whole uh, system of mitzvot that are there to create the consciousness of a people that, that left Mitzrayim, a people that were slaves, a people that were redeemed, um, telling the story. And that's all, you know, there are many, many mitzvot that, that are supposed to build this memory, to build this consciousness. And... And then once you have this consciousness, it's part of who you are, it's part of your identity, um, there is the whole series of mitzvot that build on that to create a better society. Like once you're aware of who you are and where you came from, 
you're already expected to be sensitive to the weaker parts of society and to be honest and to be good to the girl, to the atom, to the almana, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, to me, it's like we spoke about uh, Sefer Bereshit. Um, there's like a, a, a world there that's out to, to build a certain consciousness, a certain value system. And then once you have that value system or you have at least the beginning of, a, of, of that kind of consciousness, there are more and more mitzvot that build on that to, to create a, be- a better world, to create a better society, to, to interact with that. Right. If, if I can understand what you're saying, it's not just what we usually think of the consciousness of the exodus, which is that it's supposed to make us kinder people. But you're saying it actually is there at the foundation. Meaning it's, it builds the foundation of who we are as individuals and as a nation. And then it also is still there to play a role in a higher level of consciousness. Meaning first it has to create who we are as knowing that we are part of a people that we are bound by a joint historical experience and by an experience that was also experiencing God's involvement directly in human history. But that, and then Mitzrayim functions on another level, which is to actually impact our actions once we have created that individual and collective identity. Yes, it's, it, to me it comes back to this place where Rahman Ali Babai, God wants the heart, but it's not some, uh, you know, abstract idea. It's through deeds you create the proper heart, mm-hmm. and through that proper heart you create more deeds mm-hmm. that, that affect society, and it's like a, a, a circle that feeds itself. And, and it, and it's like, sometimes it's described as a, a spiral motion, uh, in, in Jewish history, where Eventually, you go back to these psukim and you say, what's this obsession about, about telling the story before it even happened? And, and you say what we just said a couple of minutes ago, that even more than this great historical event shaped who we are, the telling of the story, the acting out of the story, the, the living it out throughout our lives shaped us as a nation, uh, which turns out to be a, a big, big deal. Yeah, I'll just add in there, uh-huh. um, just to interrupt for a moment, which is that there's a really, really important work. Uh, it's called Zachor. It was written by Professor Yosef Chaim Yerushalmi, who was a professor in Colombia. He passed away. Um, and the, the, it's a series of essays that were first uh, spoken as a series of lectures, and it's called Zachor, Jewish History and Jewish Memory. Uh, and his first, his first lecture in the book really focuses on this idea in, in the biblical world, in that we don't have history. Uh, we didn't have history that was written. We have very, um, I would say, random and unconventional stops along the way. You had, you know, Josephus to a certain degree writing history, but in all of the biblical and post-biblical time, you really didn't have any until even the Middle Ages, if you can even call that history. Um, but we had very strongly this idea of Jewish memory, uh, of the of the commandments, right? The commandment to remember, which is a very different way. It's a way of living history as opposed to remembering it in the past. Uh, and the concept of writing down history, which, you know, Chazal include many historical facts. They're all throughout um, the Mishnah and the Gemara. But it's not ever recorded as history because history puts it in the past tense to a certain degree. And we live with a, a, a constant present awareness that these are events that happen and they keep happening in all different right, ways. Right. So my favorite way of, of expressing that same idea is a story I, I heard from uh, Avram Infeld. He was he is um, a, a Jewish educator uh, that uh, worked a lot with Tfutzot and uh, the diaspora. And um, he, it's, I heard him a couple of times telling the story how uh, when he was a young, uh, a young man, he just uh, actually just uh, graduated high school, 
And he comes from a family of physicists. And, you know, he was raised to be, he says, a a physicist to to shame Einstein. You know, like uh, he knew what he was supposed to be. And and then uh, the state of Israel was established. And his, uh, his father told him, you're a young man. There's a new state of Israel. Go ahead. And he wasn't prepared. He said, um, he said, you're a young man, new state, go. So he was uh, very strongly encouraged to, to go study in the Hebrew University. And um, as he got there, he went to the physics department and he says, so he was studying in the lab for a day and two days. And on the third day, I was looking out the window and there was this beautiful young lady walking uh, outside to the Department of Jewish History. So that, he says, was how, how it happened that I um, majored in Jewish history. <laughs> okay. And she is the grandmother of my children, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Nice, nice end there. But then I had to write to my father and explain what actually happened. And, you know, I, I, I let him down after he raised me to be a physicist. And uh, I wrote one of these uh, aerograms, you know, with the small letters. And uh, I waited very tensely to get the answer from my father. And then when my father's answer came, I opened it and um, I read. And between the lines, as I read, I understand my father is furious. And a few lines later, I understand he's not angry at me. He's absolutely furious at the Hebrew you. Why? <laughs> he says, Jews don't have a history. Jews have memory. And he says, as a young, young man, then I had no idea what he's talking about. But if we analyze, you know, b- both what Professor Yerushalmi said and, and what Avram Infel said, the difference between history and memory is history is, is a book on the shelf. You know, you can choose to open it, not to open it, to, to relate to it, not to relate to it. Memory is, is your identity. It, it's what you, you know, you could argue with it, you can react to it, you can, uh, it, it's part of who you are. And, and it's not going anywhere. It's, it's right there with you, uh, living life. And actually there is, uh, I, <laughs> there's a, a famous piece by, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Safran Foyer about Jewish memory. He says, um, Jews have six senses, touch, taste, sight, smell, hearing, memory. While Gentiles experience and process the world through the traditional senses and the use of memory only, they use memory only as a second order means of interpreting events. For Jews, memory is no less primary than the prick of a pin or its silver glimmer or the taste of the blood it pulls from the finger. The Jew is pricked by a pin and remembers other pins. It is only by tracing the pinprick back to other pinpricks when his mother tried to fix his sleeve while his arm was still in it, when his grandfather's fingers fell asleep from stroking his great-grandfather's damp forehead, when Abraham tested the knife point to be sure Isaac would feel no pain, that the Jew is able to know why it hurts. When a Jew encounters a pin, he asks, what does it remember like? <laughs> wow. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Basically, it, it says, you know, memory, it's not just the sum of, of your past experiences. It's something you live and relive constantly. The structure of all of mitzvot, but especially the ones that we encounter in Bo, is that. is uh, You know, when we look at Leila Seder, it's about 
acting it out, about having, uh, if we want to feel like, like Bnei Chorin, like free people, we, in the eyes of Chazal, uh, you know, who are the free people of their time, this Greek so, uh, meal with right, the laying down. And, and you, you actually, you're, you're playing out the role And while you're playing it out, you, you find yourself identifying with the role and passing it on. It's like, to see himself as if he was redeemed, but it's also like in the Rambam and in the Kitveyad, in the manuscripts. And eventually it's the way to pass that identity on, but it must be an ongoing experience. Hasidic thought, the pasuk el motzi'am mimitzrayim, in the present tense, expresses the this idea... The guy who takes them out of Egypt. Exactly. Who is taking who them out of Egypt. Who is taking them out. <laughs> expresses this idea that it's an ongoing redemption. They bring this, um, the parallel to, to Shabbat. There's this idea, uh, again, expressed by the Orachayim, that the first Shabbat was... Like the summing up of creation in the sense that there were seven days of uh, six days of creation and the day of Shabbat, and that day of Shabbat re-energized the world for one more week. And every Shabbat is like recharging the world for one more week of vitality. And in a sense, it recreates the world every week. So Shabbat is not only about remembering Shabbat Bereshit, the original Shabbat, but about recreating the world every week. Like in a mystical sense. Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, similarly, is, is that idea. In every given moment, and there are 50 ways of Zichron Yitziat Mitzrayim, in Lila Seder, every day, every night, etc., etc., something is happening now. In a sense, I am being redeemed now. I'm, I'm uh, freeing myself from slavery or being freed by Kadosh Baruch from slavery now. It's something that's happening in a present tense. Can I, can I ask yes. you what that means though for us on a, if we're going to take it in a very, very personal sense? So do we constantly need saving, right? Is it, is it that we're constantly remembering that God is an active, is actively engaged in our, uh, in our development? Or is it because we need to be released from different forces that are imprisoning us? I mean, that, that's an image I think I have a little bit of a harder time with, but what, what does it mean? Meaning, is it that we're supposed to remember through all these very practical and also more uh, mantra-type things we're remembering Mitzrayim all the time because we're remembering that God is part of our active life, and it's another way of sort of expressing divine providence in our daily life, but, or, or does it mean something else, that we constantly need to be redeemed from from what that's a question i'm i'm busy with um it it in a way it it becomes more acute every every year uh close to leila seda when i ask myself in what sense and i am i telling this story as a current story what has changed this year from last year etc in that nativot shalom he talks about 50 ways of remembering uh yetziat mitzrayim and in a way, it's all the above and not, not all simultaneously. You know, there are times where, where what you experience is like, like now in Parashat Shemot, we, uh, we, uh, just had, um, we, we were asking ourselves, was, what does it mean, uh, not to be in, you'll have to translate this, Avodat Parich. 
Yeah, to be in in difficult physical labor. We're not so, being so the by question, that labor. No, so the question is, if avodat tarach is, is physical labor, labor, there's something about a certain type of work that you do that turns it into parach. And, and that would not necessarily be the physical side of it. It could be the lack of meaning. It could be the lack of engagement. It could be the lack of choice. And, and then on the other hand, uh, in, a, in a properly uh, enacted life, I'm sure you, you choose to do things that are not meaningful in every moment, but you might have an ultimate goal, or you might say, okay, I'm doing this, I'm not crazy over it, but I'm bringing food to my family. Um, so here in Parashat Shemot, I was, we were asking ourselves, what does it mean to be free regarding our work? And and in other aspects, it would be how do I experience the the existence of a kadosh b'chol as a redeeming force in my force in my life, or and, how much is the exodus part of our actual foundational consciousness? Like I think that that's what you're pointing to in what we've said today is how much is how much does that historical event feature as something that is. A presence in my life, um, not just something I say in the morning. A- absolutely. And the evening. So, so th- this can be in you know in uh, individual spiritual issues or how you deal with everyday life and how you deal with your identity as a, a national identity, as a Jewish identity, as a as a, a Torah Jew identity, um, and and how does this you know quote unquote history uh, shape your your current identity and your children's identity, and and again. In, in the everyday, uh, choices of life, but also in, in the second order, uh, values and choices regarding my role in society and, and, and being sensitive to, to whoever, you know, needs help, needs help, needs, mm-hmm. needs, uh, an open eye and open heart from Am Israel and outside Am Israel. You know, surely the Exodus became a world uh, symbol of of uh, freeing ourselves. You know, let my people go, etc. Oppression and, and freedom. And it continues to be a role of Am Israel in the world. Surely it goes from the inside out, uh, from a very personal place to uh, to a social place to a very Am Israel place to light upon the en- the nations. But it's it's definitely not you know a, a book on the shelf. It's right. uh, it's definitely. Uh, uh, such a strong player in our identity. And the more we, we pay attention to it, uh, the more it could act in our life as, as a positive force, mm-hmm. as a force, a, a force for, um, helping us, you know, seek, seek justice, seek redemption, seek, uh, our personal exodus. Um, right. What I, what I would be careful of is that I wouldn't want people to look at it. You know, we I think Jonathan Razel uh, made the a famous song out of right that Omdim Alenu Lechalotenu that you know every day there are those who are trying to uh, make sure that our role is muted in this world. I just wouldn't want us to take it as a piece that victimizes us. I would want us to take it in an empowering way of the consciousness that it creates of the joint experience. But I guess part of me wants to leave a little bit behind. I don't want people to constantly and there are still many Jewish communities that function like this that really are still living very much in their consciousness as a community in the shadow of the Holocaust, in the shadow of all the attempts to get rid of us, living as a Jew in the modern state of Israel, I'm, I'm, I'm acutely aware of those that still would like me to not be here. But it's not something that I personally want to carry around in my pocket on a daily basis. I would much rather carry around the empowerment of what the mitzvot that are connected to Yitziat Mitzrayim, to the Exodus, 
have to give to me of how I should behave with the rest of the world, meaning I want that part. Absolutely. I mean, again, living here, living around the world, it's not like when we can shut our eyes to, to the threats. But I experienced Yat Mitzrayim as a totally empowering uh, experience, uh, one of, of redemption, one of being able to choose, to be free, to, to connect with a, a true covenant to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, everything that's the opposite of oppression, mm-hmm. everything that's empowering and, and, and uh, both as an individual and as a people to, to feel... To, To live life fully and and you know the most moral way the most uh, meaningful way uh, if I ask myself what's the the current the meaning of uh, every day mm-hmm. it's totally in that direction mm-hmm. beautiful thank you so much it's been a pleasure I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Thank you to the entire Matan team for their input. Please do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and Matan's website, and write us any feedback at at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.